Andre Dawson, Hall of Famer from the Chicago Cubs, and you're listening to the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast featuring everybody's favorite coach, Coach Manaman. Follow him on Twitter at Coach Manaman. This is the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. I am Coach Manaman. Thank you for listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other major podcast platforms. For the latest news and notes and baseball content from the tri-state area, find us on social media, Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, and at Coach Manaman on Twitter. Welcome back to the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. As always, this is everybody's favorite coach, Coach Manaman, and today joining us on the podcast, we welcome one of the greats to come out of Loris College and one of the few in program history to play at the professional ranks, Tyler Tamaka. Welcome to the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Tyler, first question I have for you. Let's get to know you. What part of the country did you grow up in? Tell us about your experiences playing Little League Baseball. And also, what did you do in high school that propelled you to have such a great college career at Loris College? Okay, so I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago my whole life in South Elgin, Illinois. And uh, I say suburbs because people would get mad at me if I said Chicago. But um... I was going to call you out on that if you did, because when I when I went to the University of Dubuque, whenever you would meet a Laura's person or you would talk to a girl at at Bricktown, which was the popular bar when I was in in college, they would always say they were from Chicago. And then you find out they'd be from like Aurora or they'd be from like Libertyville. And and they were an hour or two away from Chicago. So thank you for saying that right off the bat. I I, I would have hit you if um if you would have said you were from <laughs> Chicago. I'm prepared for that. I've I've gotten it too much. So, but no. So I grew up in South Elgin, Illinois, my whole life. Um, and so let's see, Little League. I live in a subdivision that has a baseball field not two blocks away, um, a whole baseball complex. So baseball was just like, it was just driven in our family, like immediately. Um, huge White Sox fans, so I was always into baseball. Um, I played football and basketball too, but they just weren't, it just didn't, it didn't excite me as much as going to like a baseball field and playing a game under the lights when I was in Little League. Um, my Little League career, I mean, I got, I was pretty good in Little League up to like 12 years old. And then obviously you make the transition into the 90 foot bases, 60 foot mound and, uh, you know, bigger fences. So my 12 to 13 year old season was really, really good. And then obviously like size catches up with you and you're not necessarily as big as you were on the 220 foot fences. Um, but I got coached by a lot of really good coaches. Um, Jeff Burnow is one of them. He still runs a travel baseball in South Elgin, um, the South Elgin dirt bags. Um, and he lets me work out still in his facility right now, um, in the off season. And I got coached by my dad as well. 
and uh, he knows baseball pretty well. So Little League was very uh, a very good experience for me. I actually didn't play travel ball until I was 15, um, and I played for the Fox Valley Royals, and uh, I played with them for four seasons, and that was a good experience as well. Um, and let's see, so high school um, – High school, I was on varsity from my sophomore year to senior year at St. Edwards Central Catholic, um, which is not that like, oh, like you, you were on varsity as a sophomore. Like there was a lot of people who were like, if you could play baseball at a decent pace, like you were probably going to be on varsity before you were a junior and senior. Um, but yeah, so I was not, <laughs> and I, I don't mean to like, like put myself down like this. Um, but I was not a very good baseball player in high school. Um, and I like my dream was to play college baseball and I didn't know if it was going to happen. Um, and I went to a bunch of showcases in high school, my senior year and just nothing was happening. And I was like, man, like this, this could be it. This is, you know, the last, uh, the last go around senior year. And then, uh, and then if I don't have a college to go to, you know, I could go and try and walk on somewhere, but that, you know, how that goes, especially at higher levels other than division three. Um, and so I got in contact with, uh, Nate Rowling cause he was, a the assistant coach at the time at, at Loris. And so he, uh, he was the one that kind of recruited me a little bit and got me, to uh, come out to Loris, but uh, I know you 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 gave me the podcast uh, outline and asked me about all my accolades for high school baseball, and I'm not gonna lie, man, I hit like 200, and I was not a good baseball player. Like I was a decent catcher. I, by the way, I was a catcher my whole career in high school. I I, I was never a pitcher. Um, I don't even think I threw one full inning on the mound in high school. So uh, I was a good defensive catcher, and then at the plate, we uh, we try to forget all the at bats in high school. <laughs> well, that's that's good to know. And you think of guys who have had professional careers. I think of a guy like Carlos Zambrano, who had a great major league career. He came up as a catcher. Um, you think of uh, the closer for the Dodgers, Kenley Jansen. He originally was was a catcher, and at one point was the uh, was the best closer in the game. Now, you think of Loris College. You said uh, you reached out to Nate Rowling and you didn't have many offers. And the way you answered that question took away a lot of my follow-up questions. But if you could give the three top reasons why you decided to attend Loris College, and then a question that I have for you if you didn't throw maybe one inning in high school. When did that transition happen in college to get you to become a pitcher? Okay, so there's going to be a couple sentences in here that is going to kind of sound bad about Loris, but I love Loris College. Okay, I'll just put that out there right now. Okay, so... um. I got in contact with uh, Nate Rowling because it was pretty much my only spot that it was like, I'm going to 
go there. And if I go there, I'm going to be able to join the baseball club. I'm going to be able to be on the baseball team. I was talking to actually August Stano was my other option um, at the time. And it was just not necessarily flowing the way I wanted it to, like it did at Loris. So I went and uh, that, so that is the first reason it was realistically my only opportunity to like 100% be on the college baseball team was at Loris. So that was like one of the main reasons why I picked there. Um, Second reason was when I went there meeting, uh, Coach Rowling and Coach T-Bon, I just got a good vibe from them. Um, they were really kind and welcoming. And, you know, they already recruited a catcher whose name is uh, Mike Mudo. Um, and he was a catcher for four years when I was there. And uh, so they, they weren't necessarily looking for a catcher, so to say, but they wanted to give me that kind of fair shake. And, of course, you know, somebody who wants to come and play baseball there is probably going to get an opportunity. Um, and then for the third one, I did not know how beautiful Dubuque was. I got there and, uh, it was a snowy day. So you can imagine that me and my dad were kind of frantic on the, uh, on the hills of Dubuque, uh, with it snowing. We were like, holy cow, like, how do you even drive here when it snows? And, uh, but no, it was just absolutely pretty, like right on the Mississippi. And I didn't know how big the town was. And um, I just got a good vibe on campus. And I thought, you know, why not? Like, let's go and try this place out for a year. And if it doesn't work out, then so be it. And, uh, you know, of course, the rest is history. Um, so the transition to pitching. So my freshman year, I went in and... I was, you know, throughout fall baseball, I was catching and I made a uh, junior varsity my freshman year. Um, just wasn't good enough, just flat out. And so I actually like kind of slept on baseball my whole freshman year. And I was not necessarily a good uh, student athlete, so to say. And um, that affected me. Um, Mentally and physically, um, I was not, you know, putting the time and effort into baseball as I should have been, you know, being on JV. So my sophomore year, I came in and we had a big recruiting class, um, that class below me, the class of 2019, it would have been. So um, I got put on JV again after fall baseball my sophomore year and that was at the point where like I had a pretty good arm at the time and I was kind of like I'm not getting my fair shake I, I I was all upset when the roster came out and I actually almost quit baseball so I called my dad after that day that the roster came out and I was like you know this is you know not fair I'm not getting my fair shake I just want to quit like this is, this is stupid. And my dad talked me out of quitting. Thank God. And, um, you know, that's what, that's what dads are for. And so I worked my, worked my tail off that off season in like the winter and stuff and came back in the spring. And I had an opportunity to be able to make the Florida trip that year. 
so there was one day that we were up in the uh, Loris field house, which I'm sure you've been in um, a few times. So we were up there and it was JV practice ran by uh, Donnie Perkle. Shout out Donnie Perkle. Love that guy. Can so I, can I mention a confirmed guest on the Dubuque area baseball podcast as well? Donnie Perkle, let's go. So That's look out for that podcast. one, Donnie Perks. Yeah, yes, Coach Perkle absolutely. From Loris and Hempstead. Nice. That's a great podcast. So he's running JV practice, and we're we're just throwing like bullpens or whatever, and doing like live abs and stuff. And I don't know why. Probably just because I was kind of an idiot. I just decided to go up onto the mound and start throwing. And so it just so happened that uh, Coach T-Bond and Coach Rowling walked in as I was on the mound. And um, I was not great, but I was serviceable on the mound at the time. And so they were like, you know what, if you the next day they brought me into the office and they were like, if you want to transition to be a, a PO, then that's something that could be, you know, in your future. And like I said, I was just trying to get onto that Florida trip. And so I was like, you know what, let's, let's do it. Let's ride. I'm going to be a PO. And, uh, so that was kind of the transition from there. And then, uh, you know, a lot of things happened then from sophomore year to senior year. I'm sure you're going to ask me some questions about that, but yeah. So that's, that's kind of how the transition went couple things we got to thank our dads i know there was a time i almost dropped out of school to go work at a lumber yard glad i did not do that also you talk about (laughs) how beautiful dubuque is one of my favorite scenes uh, in dubuque is actually driving down the hill right on loris boulevard before you go down you can see the mississippi river the bluffs in the background visualizing this you're talking about you get on the mound you're throwing And it kind of takes me to the scene in that movie, The Million Dollar Arm, where the professional scout is sleeping and he sleeps all through all these tryouts. And then all of a sudden he hears the mitt pop and he wakes up and he automatically knows that that guy had just thrown 86 miles an hour. But props to you, because the easy thing to do would have been to um, give up and, and to quit. But you transitioned and you... Uh, repackaged your game and went on to have a solid career at Loris. I do want to talk about some of the guys that you played with, but one thing I do want to talk about is uh, your individual performances. When you were at Loris, what were some of the individual performances that stood out to you while you were there? Did you win any awards or collect any all-conference accolades while you were there? Okay, so I'll get the second question out of the way because it's very short. I was all-conference honorable mention my senior year, and that was it. Um, And so, okay, my best moments at Loris. Is this like a personal best moments or? Let's do both. Tell us your personal best moments, your top performances that – you still remember to this very day? And then what were some of those moments, um, team moments that you still chat with the boys about when you guys uh, get together? Okay. So my personal moment would have to be when I threw against co college. Um, this was for first place in conference at the time. And we were up 
by one run, I want to say. And I came in in the eighth inning to throw the eighth and ninth inning. And uh, I think I ended up only throwing 18 pitches and striking out five. And there was one guy that put a ball in play, and it was the first pitch I threw to him. He bunted it right back at me. And it was like, it was maybe to this day, the only time that I've ever closed out a game and shown emotion. So a lot of people call me. I don't know if you've ever heard this. A lot of people at my school called me the Iceman because I don't really like show emotion on the mound, so to say. I mean, if you if you came out and watched me out here pitching Boise, that's kind of my demeanor on the mound is I'm a very like low key, like like to have control of my breath type of guy. Um, so that would have to be personal um, moment number one. Number two, which can be both personal and team moments, would be when we swept uh, Warburg my senior year. And that was huge because throughout my career at Loris, it was always known as like Warburg is the worst. And they're so they're, they were, they were always good. So that was why it was like, we hate Warburg. And so we went out our senior year. It was, I mean, shoot, it had to be like 29 degrees was the high that weekend. And so we played a double header on Friday or Saturday, I can't remember. And uh, I closed out both of those games um, and actually got the IAC Pitcher of the Week after that for that reason. Um, but yeah, and then I we came back for the third game and it was actually snowing for like half the game. And uh, I, at the end of the game, it was unbelievable. There was like snow accumulation on the turf and uh, actually Aiden Wojciechowski uh, threw the last inning of that game and uh, closed it out and uh, we swept him. And that was like a great feeling because I knew that, that Carl loved that. He wanted to sweep Warburg so bad every single time we played him and we finally did it our senior year. And that was kind of like the realization that like, Hey, we have a pretty good team this year can, you know, I mean, the last few years we were not uh, making the tournament. So it was like, Hey, we have a team this year. So that was uh, definitely my favorite moment as, uh, as team moment. And something we still talk about to this day is that we swept Warburg our senior year. It's great when I do these player interviews and once they're pushed out, people that I don't know will contact me and will say, I remember that exact story that this player was telling. And, and it was great, great to go back. Also, um, Coach Woj is a guest on the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast, so go back and, and listen to that one. Um, he did a phenomenal job as well. What year were you at Loris College, and how did your teams do when you were there? Did you guys make any uh, deep tournament runs at all? So in 2000, I was there from 2015 to 2018. Um, those were like the baseball years that I was there. Um, obviously, I started in fall of 2014 um no we didn't make any runs unfortunately um my freshman year we were in the tournament and i believe we were two and done 
sophomore and junior year. And fortunately, we just fell short of making the tournament, which was such a shame. I mean, because, you know, you always want your season to end at that uh, the stadium in Cedar Rapids. And when it doesn't and it kind of ends in a, in a spot in conference where another team is celebrating because they're going to the tournament and you kind of have to turn around and be like, well, we don't even get to get to put you on the highest stage. And um, so those two classes that um, were ahead of me, I always kind of have a, a heavy heart for all those guys because they didn't get to end their careers out there. Um, so, and then our senior year, we lost to Luther our first game at Co. And then we went out to the stadium for an elimination game and played BV. That's the most pitches I think I've ever thrown ever. Um, I came in in like the seventh inning and uh, pitched into, I think, the 11th or the 12th inning. Um, so we went into extras and we were just, we grinded that game out and came back and tied it. And I was still throwing and threw a clean 10th or 10th and 11th or something like that. And then they finally got to me. But uh, yeah, so we never, I don't think when I was there, we ever won a tournament game, unfortunately. We know that Coach Carl Tebon is a Dubuque area favorite, such a fiery guy. What's it like playing for him? Oh, man. I got to be careful with this answer, right? No, go for it. <laughs> probably going to listen to this. <laughs> so, oh, man. I mean, Carl is a second dad to me. And he's a second dad to every single person on the team. And I know that somebody along the lines has told you the same exact thing that I'm telling you right now. Like you told me before the podcast started, Dubuque Baseball and especially Loris Baseball is such a close-knit family. And it's so true because, you know, if you want to go over to Loris and you want to go there during homecoming week, I guarantee you the one tent that is full the whole entire time with nothing but laughs and stories is the baseball tent. And it's Carl's tent. And, uh, man, I can't tell you how much he helped me in my career. Um there's some things I won't mention that he's done for me in my career that's that's helped me, but um, he is just like I said, he's a second dad to me, um, and he's a second dad to every single player out there. And yeah, he is he is one fiery coach, um, and there was a lot of things that um, I didn't necessarily agree with what we did, whether it was like practice or game decisions, stuff like that. But, um, you know, that's with every coach and, you know, you can always look hindsight and say, Oh, I would have done this instead or that instead. But one thing remains true that I can always call Carl T-Bon and he's going to do whatever I need to have him do. He's going to help every single player that's played for him. He keeps in contact with everybody. I mean, I get a Snapchat from him once a week of him riding a bike, and I still think he just act, on purpose dials up the numbers and says he, he went like 17 or 20 miles or whatever it is. He's lying about that, by the way. There's no way he's doing that. I need proof. But, uh, no, he's, he's definitely one of my favorite coaches I've ever played with. Um, and, yeah, I would go to war for him. 
he's a, he's a great coach. What's a memory that stands out when you and your teammates are sitting around and having a couple sodas that you guys still talk about where uh, people just can't believe he did that or something that just always brings a laugh out of the bunch? Oh my gosh. Okay. So it's, I don't even remember what happened in game, but there was, I mean, he was notorious for getting on an umpire. I mean, he would always have something to say to an umpire. And, uh, one of his things that he always used to do was he used to always tell, he used to always yell at, at um, Mudo, uh, Mike Mudo, our catcher. He used to always yell, you got to do a better job with that, Mike. And he's not yelling at Mike. He's yelling at the umpire saying, you know, that's a strike, but hey, my catcher needs to do a better job with that. That was kind of his way of chirping the ump a little bit. There was one time that this umpire, I don't know if you know him by name. I only know his first name. His name is Larry. And uh, this guy made a bad call at some point in a game. And uh, T-Bomb was just giving it to him. I think he was in the third base box. And he was just laying into him. And it was all quiet. And I think it was at home, too. So it was after Trakis. And um, it was all quiet. And we were trying not to laugh, of course, in the dugout. And everybody's kind of excited because it's getting a little feisty on the field. And he just yelled. <laughs> he yelled at the umpire. And he was like, oh, come on, Larry. And it just stuck with us. I mean, we always used to say it then for the next, like, two years that we were there. Um we used to always yell like, Oh, come on, Larry. Like anytime there was any umpire uh, dispute on the field. So that would be definitely the one thing that we still would like bring up if we were at, like you said, having a couple sodas or something, we would bring that up for sure. I'm sure that's probably in a couple text message groups where someone just randomly will just say, come on, Larry. Uh, Absolutely. It's, it's, <laughs> it's funny. You mentioned that I, I, am friends with a couple coaches that played at Loris and that's always been their thing too. Now I know where they got it. When an umpire makes a poor call on a ball or a strike, they'll kind of get on the catcher and instead of getting on the umpire. Now I know where that, that came from. Now, Tyler, I'm I'm really struggling with something here and I, and I want to piece this puzzle together. So you, in your own words, you were not very good in high school. You were a 200 yeah. hitter who was a defensive catcher, didn't play at Loris, transitioned to pitcher, and you are now currently playing professional baseball. How did you get noticed and how did you sign a professional contract being from a smaller uh, Division three school? Uh, how did that all work out? Okay, so this is where... I talk about Jeremy Girardi. So, Jeremy, uh, shout out Jeremy. I love him. He's probably my favorite pitching coach still to this day. I'm going to interrupt being, you and say, if you yeah. haven't listened to the Jeremy Girardi episode, go back to our archives and check it out. He is a he was a guest on the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. All right, go ahead, Tyler. Tyler, I like how okay. you're giving me all these opportunities to plug past and future episodes. Thanks for doing that. Yeah, I've done it three times now. I'm keeping track over here too. <laughs> All right, what but about no, Jeremy so, Girardi? So Jeremy Girardi, man, he is, like I said, my favorite pitching coach I've ever had. 
Um, he was a friend before he got on staff. Um, and man, did he take me from, you know, the woes of being just an average division three pitcher to being, you know, um, the best that I possibly could have been at Loris. I mean, he, he really was the number one help to me and he'll always defer to me putting in the hard work. And I understand that he, that's just the coach in him that he's going to do that. But, um, there's so much credit to give to him and, uh, what he did for me in my career. Um, so let's just put it this way. So my senior year, my junior year, let's say I, I was a pretty good pitcher. I still didn't have the mindset down of being, um, you know, that calm and collective pitcher, like I was talking about earlier. And so I had, you know, okay stats. I posted like a 4.5 ERA over like 28 innings as a closer, um, and had a good amount of strikeouts, but nothing like my senior year. So my senior year I came in and in the fall I was throwing and I was, you know, definitely one of the better pitchers on the team. And then we introduced driveline, um, in the fall. And then I did their velo training in the winter and I came in from November. I threw a max velo bullpen at 86 and then, uh, January into February, the first time I like got on a mound and faced live hitters, I was up to 91. So it was like that jump, um, was necessary for me to be where I am today. Um, so yeah, the driveline that we did in the off season and Girardi coaching it. And he, I mean, he went to work. He studied the hell out of that, uh, training program and uh, he did really a great job with our whole staff. I mean, we had guys jumping up a couple miles per hour for sure. But I would, I, I don't want to, I don't want to down talk anybody else on the on our team. But I would think that I was probably the one that that really caught on to it. Really, uh, it really propelled me, like really, really a lot. And um, that's what I needed. So, um, shout out Jeremy Girardi favorite pitcher pitching coach I've ever had um still to this day even after having professional pitching coaches he's still he's still my guy and he's still the guy that if I'm in a jam in the ninth inning I want him coming out to calm me down because he's probably going to make me laugh (laughs) so uh we know that baseball is is full of independent leagues and we know that independent leagues are booming especially with Major League Baseball dropping 44 minor league affiliations. What leagues have you played in, and who are some of the teams that you've played for? Okay, so I know you asked how the transition went, too, in that last question, so I'll I'll bring that in with this one as well. So my senior year, I was done playing, um, and I talked actually with Girardi, and I was like, do you think I have a chance? Like, do you think I could still keep playing? And he was like, I absolutely think you can. And he's like, I think you should pursue it and, um, you know, try and figure out where you can, where you can find a spot to land. And so obviously I didn't get drafted. Um, and then so in middle of June, I actually got a message from somebody on Instagram 
And they wanted me to come out to the showcase for the USPBL, the United Shore Professional Baseball League. And so I kind of looked into it a little bit. And I was like, oh, like, that's actually like a legit league. And uh, so I went out there. It was a uh, Monday morning showcase. And we got there. And uh, I threw in it. And I threw well. And I was like, and I had to wait like, oh my gosh, like five hours because I was the first pitcher to go. And, you know, you throw in live game and you, see, you get like 25 pitches. So like four or five at bats. And uh, so I, I threw, I was done and I had to watch all these other guys. And, and the funny thing too, let me just put, point this out is that whole showcase, you had to wear your college hat and your college shirt. I can't tell you how out of the blue I looked with Loris purple on compared to guys who were in big 10 schools like Ohio state, Michigan, Michigan state, all these school, all these big schools, Ohio. Uh, I could keep, I could keep going down the list. And then there's just me in the corner of the dugout with purple on. It's like <laughs> repping Loris college out here. So, but no, so I made the, I made the East Side Diamond Hoppers. So that league is a little bit different than other leagues. It's a four-man league, and they play at one site. So there's one field, Jimmy John's Field, and it's more of a development league than so-called other indie ball leagues that play more of a minor league schedule, um, which is like six games a week, and then you have like one off day. And so um, started playing there, and uh, – like I said, played on the East Side Diamond Hoppers. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, I had a good season in 2018. I held my own. Um, actually, after we lost in the championship, uh, my manager, Paul Nochi, who played for the Cincinnati Reds, he played for the Chicago Cubs, um, he invited me back for 2019, not like five minutes after we lost in the clubhouse. He pulled me over and was like, Hey, we're going to bring you back. And I was like, okay, cool. So trained all off season and then, uh, played in 2019. Um, and then kind of a tough patch got released in August on August 1st, 2019. Um, so then I was done with that. And the reason for that was, uh, you have two two years to play in the USPBL, and uh, it's kind of like I said, a development league. So they want it to be sort of not a revolving door. They want you to get your fair shake. And so once the August first came around, that's kind of the deadline to when major league teams are kind of looking to pick guys up from independent league baseball. Um, at least in that, in, in the USPBL for sure. So that's kind of when they were like, Hey, we're going to bring some new guys in. You're just, you've had your time here. Um, it's time to move on. So it was, it was not as clear as I put it there for you. It was more of a shock to me. And, uh, yeah, so that was tough. Um, kind of dealing with the cruel industry that is indie ball and slash you know, professional baseball, minor leagues, all that stuff is how many people get released, all the stories that you hear, all the people you meet. Um, and then I went to the California Winter League in 2020, 
before COVID hit and uh, got signed to the Schomburg Boomers of the Frontier League. And so obviously with COVID, I didn't really play in 2020 at all after I went out to the California Winter League for a month. And that's a, that, by the way, that's a league that you play for a month in Palm Springs, California. You go out there and you play like 25 games and it's a really good spot to get picked up into leagues like Frontier League, American Association, Atlantic League. Um, so yeah, just a little background on that. So you're not in the blue, but, uh, so then all COVID, uh, the COVID year that, uh, the, the sad COVID year, I, uh, all I did was train with my buddy from South Elgin. His name's Ryan Newtoff. He's a pitcher, uh, in the Cincinnati Reds organization. Um, so I trained with him, went to spring training this year. Um, and unfortunately got released from, uh, the boomers. And I knew that it was kind of not a fair shake. And, uh, unfortunately that's kind of the bad rep that, uh, the frontier league gets is it's a big revolving door. Everybody goes in and then they come out. And, uh, yeah. So I actually knew a guy from the U S PBL that was on one of the, one of the other four teams, um, that was playing out here in Boise. So he saw that on the Frontier League transactions, for whatever reason why he was looking at that, because he's not even in that league, he called me and told me, like, hey, our team is really struggling out here with pitching. You think you could come out to Boise? And I was like, man, like, I was literally 10 minutes from home playing pro ball and in Schaumburg, and now I have to go out to Boise this is my opportunity. And I was like, man, this is crazy, but I guess like, why not? I, I trained for a full year. I might as well. So that's kind of how I ended up out here. Love it out here. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, only thing that stinks about this league. So this is the pioneer league, by the way, which was affiliates. I'm actually in my host family's house right now. Host family of, uh, Kyle Schwarber. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely a different league. I have to play six games a week. Our off days are on Tuesday. So it's uh, it's definitely a grind. Um, and it's not necessarily the, oh, my gosh, you play professional baseball. That's so cool. Yeah, it is. But there's, there's give and take to it for sure. And it is, like I said, a cruel industry. And they will tell you to your face that you're not good enough and you need to go find a job. And so uh, – as, as awesome as professional baseball can be, it also can be very cruel to some people. So, Have you played with anybody that has gone on to play with uh, a major league team? Um, yeah, so I've played with a lot of guys. Um, most recently, we had an infielder, Josh Rivera, um, get signed to the Kansas City Royals organization. Um, but I just also like to point out too, that I'm repping division three out here, man. I mean, I have yet to play with another person on my pro ball teams from 2018 hoppers, 2019 hoppers, 2020 boomers or 2021 boomers. And now 2021 Boise Hawks. Not, I don't 
I think there's one Division three player that I've played with. So just like to point that out and say that I'm repping Division three, but um, yeah, there's a ton of guys that have gone on to the minor leagues. Um, by name, I could definitely rattle off a few names. I don't know if anybody's really going to know anybody. So I think it would be kind of worthless. But I will say that out of the USPBL, the year before I got there, you might recognize the name Randy Dobnak on the Minnesota Twins. He was in the USPBL and uh, he's now a starting pitcher for the Twins. And um, that's a great story, man. I mean, he he is exactly where I was and got the call, got the opportunity and was actually throwing in Cedar Rapids um, and was playing for the Colonels and uh, got the call up to double A and then like immediately got called up to triple A through a hundred innings in triple A or something like that and had like a two ERA and boom right there. You're going to the bigs. So it's a, it's not necessarily a long path for some people, like a, like a guy like your mean Mercedes, who was in the league for 10 years or in the minors for 10 years before he got up there. It's not always that, um, especially for pitchers because they're always looking for arms. But uh, nobody that I've played with yet has made it to the MLB level. But there is some guys out there that have gotten picked up, released, picked up, released, um, you know, and been like in and out of like, you know, high A, double A, triple A. I did play actually with Willie Garcia, who was on the White Sox. Um, he was actually with the Boomers uh, this year at spring training. That was a great mind to pick. Um, not only am I a White Sox fan, so I, I already knew who Willie Garcia was. But that was um, that was really really cool to share a, a, a dugout and a clubhouse with a with a guy who's been up there with you know I mean he still talks to Jose Abreu, Mancada, Tim Anderson, all those guys. So um, he was an unbelievable talent too. I mean he every time he hit the ball it was a gunshot. Tyler, you read all over the internet and in baseball magazines. We've seen documentaries about the horror stories of minor league and indie baseball and how uh, players are poorly paid and poorly treated. Uh, What has been your experience? And generally, what do guys make? You don't have to tell us what you make, but what do what would the range be of like the lower level guys in the league to the higher level guys in the league on that pay range? Okay, so I'll be completely open. You don't have to. I'll I'll tell you guys how much I make. Obviously, it's not a lot. And uh, everybody knows that it's uh, independent pro ball. So in the USPBL, it's a flatline $600 a month. And so if you get into the league for the second year, like I did, they give you a whopping $50 raise per month. So you make $650 per month if you're a second-year player there. And then minus clubhouse dues, minus service fees, minus 
all these other things minus if you don't have a host family it's three hundred dollars a month to live in the apartments that they give you so i mean you're making i mean when i was in the apartments my first year my second year luckily i had a host family my first year i was making on checks every two weeks 120 bucks maybe so i mean it's it is exactly what they say. It is not good. Um, but I will say, the USPBL, I don't want to want to put it down bad because it's a very nice facility. They have super nice things in their clubhouse. Yes, you do have to pay clubhouse fees, but it is kind of worth it. They also fill up their stadium every single game that you play. So it is a super cool atmosphere. I can't tell you how many times there was 5,000 people at those games. Um, it was crazy. Like it was absolutely surreal going from Petrakis to Jimmy John's field in Utica, Michigan. It was, it was a really cool transition, but, um, yeah, so that league definitely not, you don't get paid that much. You also don't play as much though. You're not playing six games a week. You get a lot of uh, free time um, to do whatever you, you you need to do. Actually, Rand, going back to the to the MLB guy from there, Randy Dobnak, um, he actually was an Uber driver. So he made money off the field as an Uber driver, and everybody knows that because they always talk about that when he goes out and throws. Yeah, so, that uh, story was trending on Twitter, and also Barstool Sports did a big write-up on that as well. Yeah, it was it was really funny, but it's like everybody made fun of him, and it's like, man, you guys would have been doing the same thing because you would have been crying about that paycheck in your locker. So... um yeah, USPBL, really good first league to play in, but as far as pay-wise, you're not going there to play for the pay. And you're not really going anywhere in minors or independent league unless you're all the way up in like double-A, triple-A, that you're going to be able to make some you know, decent cash per month. And uh, even then, it's still not a whopping number. Um, so the league, Frontier League... Frontier League ranges crazy. Um, Frontier League's a lot different. They have like your status as a player. Um, you could be like a rookie one, rookie two, experienced veteran, um, like experience one, experience two, veteran one, veteran two, all that kind of stuff. I couldn't tell you what it is, but coming from, you know, a guy that you know, is just looking for the opportunity. When you get your contract and they put you as a rookie one, um, it's not because they see you as a rookie. It's just because you haven't played in the league yet in the frontier league and you haven't played in, in minor leagues yet. So that league is the exact same 600 for a rookie one. Um, I know all the way up to, Veteran, I couldn't tell you how much Willie Garcia was making, but I'll tell you what, it wasn't $600. Um, so it was uh, one of those things where like you, you kind of earn your pay by the, uh, the entitlement of your name, so to say. Um, but yeah, so that was another similar experience, although I was only there for spring training. I got released after spring training. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, it was again, just like not good pay, but I was living at home. So it was, uh, it was doable because I was living at home then out here, surprisingly. So this league is the pioneer league and, um, you play six games a week and you have, you know, one off day on Tuesday and that's it. And, uh, a whole lot of bus driving through mountains and windy roads that are impossible to sleep on the bus. Um, so it's, it's really tough. It's a grind, but, uh, I get paid out here 1600 a month. So I get paid a lot, a lot better. Um, everybody has a host family. So that's nice. And the reason for it is this was an affiliate league. So this league was rookie uh, status. Um, I think it might have been short season at one point. The Hawks, Boise Hawks were with the Colorado Rockies. They were with the Chicago Cubs. They've been with the Angels. They've been with a whole bunch of different teams, you know, an affiliate so, and an affiliate, by the way, for people that are listening is somebody who is in the organization of the MLB org. So it's like one of their minor league teams. Um, so I think just the way that they've done it before is kind of the way they want to keep it. They don't necessarily want to make players earn less because there's a higher status that uh, you have to uphold as a player out here um, because, you know, they have guys like, you know, Wilson Contreras, Baez, Chris Bryant, Kyle Schwarber, all these guys played for the Boise Hawks when they were with the Cubs. So it, it's like these guys out here in Boise, they've seen some pretty good baseball out here and uh, they were spoiled for a lot of years. So they want us to keep up the, the, kind of the status that the Boise Hawks are been trying our best having a tough season so far, but um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a lot better pay out here and it's actually better pay than almost anywhere in independent professional baseball is the pioneer league. The only downside to it is like I said, the long bus rides and it's just way out in the middle of nowhere. Never have I ever thought, I'm going to be playing baseball in Boise, Idaho. So <laughs> it's a, it's a crazy ride professional baseball, but uh, like I said, it's all worth it. And it's not worth it because of the money. It's worth it just because of the opportunity. Tyler, this is our last question before we hit into that podcast killing double play. And it's a two parter. How is the current season going for you statistically and what does the future hold for former Loris College great Tyler Tamaka? So statistically right now, my ERA is probably a little bit higher than I want it. I had one outing uh, in Missoula, Montana. A lot of broken bat hits, a lot of duck snorts, just typical baseball stuff. And when you're a reliever and you have an outing where you give up four runs or you know, five runs, whatever it was. I don't even remember, but it was around there, four or five runs. I mean, your ERA just blows up. So uh, ERA is not where I want it. Strikeouts are where I want them. I have like 13 innings. I have 21 strikeouts to four walks. So that's good. 
that's something that a lot of professional scouts look for is your strikeout to walk ratio because they don't necessarily want to take their chances on bringing a guy into a low A or a high A season, put a guy in the bullpen and have him come out and then he walks the bases loaded. That's like the last thing that they want. So um, having a low walk rate and a high strikeout per nine rate is is one of the check boxes that you have to check off. So statistically, it can be better for sure. Um, like I said, it's just that, you know, the one outing will always kill you. And uh, so far, I only have 13 innings thrown. So it's kind of one of those things that let me let me check back with you in another 10. <laughs> but uh, I couldn't even tell you what my year is. I try not to look at it as much as possible throughout the season because it's just kind of a – it's kind of like selfish, so to say. But then again, it's not because you are out here and it is your career that you're fighting for. It's not necessarily like I'm a huge – advocate of the Boise Hawks like I am and I love my team so that's why I play is because I'm having fun and it's with a, a good group of guys and uh it's not necessarily for the oh I I need my ERA to be under three yeah I would love that but it's uh it's bigger than that for sure um what the what the future holds for me I do not know I would love to you know, go up to Zoltar or something and have him tell me my future. I would love that because I don't know. I don't think anybody knows. Um, as far as playing baseball goes, I think I'm going to play until they rip the jersey off my back. I love this game way too much to give it up right now. Um, Future-wise, for like jobs and stuff, I've been looking into trying to be a firefighter outside of baseball. Um, as of right now, I'm working with my dad and his rope distribution company um, in the off-season. But it's firefighting is something that I've definitely been interested in, and I might have to go back to school for a year or two. Um, but I think it would be worth it um, if it's something that I want to pursue. Um, so like I said, I'm going to keep playing and, uh, you know, there's still people that are kind of interested in me, so to say, um, I don't necessarily know who, but they don't keep guys around that aren't, um, you know, guys that have, you know, interest in, uh, MLB orgs. So, um, that, that would be the future for Mr. Tyler Tamaka is not sure, but going to keep grinding it out. That's for sure. Best of luck to Tyler Tamaka and Tyler for your sake. I hope when they tear that jersey off you, it is a major league baseball jersey. And six four three, we're out of here. Post game show is brought to you by Christ. I can't find it. The hell with it. Thank you for listening to the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. You can find us on social media, Facebook and Instagram by searching Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. And you can follow me on Twitter at Coach Manaman. Go to Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star review, find us on Spotify, and subscribe.